we need to keep this technology on American soil and we need to innovate here. Otherwise, it's going to go somewhere else and we're going to be a risk. Our economy will be a risk. Our national security will be a risk. We need to keep the innovation happening here as much as possible. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. Pumped to have you join us for another week here on BCB Pod. This week, Josh and myself, Dan, were joined by Brady Swenson co-founder of Swan Bitcoin, and a legendary podcaster. We had a hell of a time with Brady during this one, covering a number of high-level and important topics, including fiat dysfunction and Bitcoin to the rescue, the wisdom in dollar-cost averaging, the importance of winning the narrative war, and why Bitcoin is fundamentally bipartisan, Swan Bitcoin's long list of badass products and services, and the need for a Bitcoin trading card with my large phallus on it. Unlike some of you losers in this space, we have wives, kids, jobs, and families, and regrettably, we can't travel to every single Bitcoin and Noster conference in the world. Therefore, we are prioritizing just two conferences this year, Pacific Bitcoin Festival in October and the upcoming Bitcoin conference in Miami. It's May 18th to the 20th, ladies and gentlemen, and tickets are still available. You can use promo BCB23, that's BCB23, for a 10% discount on these puppies. Josh and myself, Dan, will be chopping it up on the analyst desk at the conference, and we hope to see you there. Please come say hello. Are you worried about the security of your Bitcoin? Well, you should be, as it's more important than ever to protect this asset from counterparty risk. The cold card is the ultimate solution for anyone who wants to keep their Bitcoin safe and secure. Whether you're a seasoned Bitcoiner or a newbie, you'll find it easy to set up and use the cold card, as well as progress alongside this device as your knowledge grows. Protect your Bitcoin with the cold card signing device made by CoinKite and sleep like a log. Just don't snore like one, especially if you're a fireman sleeping in the recliner next to me. <clears throat> Dennis. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this one. You can get discounts on many CoinKite products, including the Block Lock, at our affiliate link down in the notes, and use promo BCB, that's BCB, for a succulent discount on cold card specifically. Yeah, Josh, that ski trip got debaucherous, dude. You, you, Your soul left your body, man. Yeah, it, I mean, I don't remember it, so it probably <laughs> didn't happen, right? So just to fill everyone in listening, we were just talking about day drinking in the afternoon and how, yep. you know, once you hit your mid-30s, early 40s, it either becomes one of two choices at the end of that day. It's either you go harder or you pack it in and go to bed at eight o'clock. And on That's that right. ski trip, I did not pack it in. No, you went harder. Went harder, and we ended up having a brawl. It was just, it was a good old time. Yeah, shirtless wrestling matches on the floor. Oh yeah, it was crazy. There was a legit brawl, throwing punches. Uh, it was more uh, wrestling. It was a giant wrestling match that just got yeah, way yeah. out of hand. We're lucky we didn't incur a lot more charges from that Airbnb we were at. <laughs> <laughs> that we are. That we are. Um, Brady. Man, welcome in. Thanks, guys. Long overdue, man. Way overdue. Yeah, that's yeah. my bad. I'm glad we got. I'm glad uh, I was finally able to show up. Sorry about that. I think we didn't we cancel once because we had something I going on. I don't remember. Know, we're known to cancel too, Brady. So don't feel the least bit bad. <laughs> yeah, no sweat at all. We're really starting to uh, rack up the swans here on the show, though. But as Josh said to me earlier, 
we, we now have the the Swan trifecta. I think we've now collected all three Swan holographic cards, Corey, yep. Jan, and now finally yourself, Brady. So yeah, um, right. pleasure to, to round out the collection. Which one of these cards has the most prolific hair, though, is the real question, Dan. Mm. It's got to be Corey. It's got to be Corey. Corey's got the luscious blonde locks, but you've got this wave going on that is... Used to be way nicer. Yeah. Is either <laughs> of your hairlines receding? I guess that would factor in significantly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yours looks pretty steady. I guess I'd have to look at Corey's again. Yeah, Corey's got this kind of, you know, long, uh, wavy stuff that's going here. It's very, I don't know, it looks very thick. It's like much more romance novel cover than my hair. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> he's, got the, he's got the long, luscious locks that, you know, just dragging all the ladies. Oh, yeah. Corey's just, a, you know, he, he won on all, on all fronts. He, he won the genetic pool. He's also like 6'3 and, you know, a big dude. Like Prolific basketball player as well, so we hear. I mean, maybe we can verify that ourselves when we come to the Pacific Bitcoin conference later this year, but we'll see, you know, I don't know how much of that video was AI generated and doctored. We can't really tell these days. Was the three, <laughs> was the contest rigged or did he actually win that thing? He actually won that like straight up. I was there watching and yeah, he, the, the most baller part of it was he was tied up. He had one ball left. He took two huge steps back so that he was standing on the Swan logo on the court. So it was like. I don't know, 25, 30 foot shot and just drained it. It was so baller. It's a power <laughs> so move. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a power, a power move for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, to, to go back a second, how, I mean, how does it feel Brady, to be objectified just as a podcast collector's item for us? I mean, you, you okay <laughs> with that? I'm okay with that, man. Uh, I, I've been hanging out with Aladdin and the Bitcoin trading cards crew uh, in Telegram lately and really getting into that project because it's just so much fun. I used to be into baseball cards, basketball cards and, and magic, the gathering. And, and, uh, so it's fun like, you know, to like tap back into that stuff, you know, 20, 25 years later, uh, and have it be wrapped up in Bitcoin. And, uh, so I've been uh, pushing to get a card in series three, <laughs> Corey's got one in series two. So I, I love it. I love the idea of, you know, as long as it's not an NFT, I'm, I'm down. Heck yeah. <laughs> Wait, tell us more about these cards. So what exactly are they? Yeah. So it's a, physical trading card uh series that uh, dropped at pacific bitcoin last year in november um series one was a kind of a small print because he was just getting uh things spun up but the art is absolutely impeccable it's amazing uh the quality of the card prints really really good um it's all education based so on the back of each card there's you know a paragraph of education about whatever's cool. on the front of the card yeah and uh and the idea was to or is to, you know, basically be able to give these things out to friends and family and kind of teach them. He calls them orange pills, uh, orange pill in a pack. Nice. Mm. Um, he, he way underestimated just how collectible they would become. Bitcoiners love scarcity, right? And so these, there, there weren't that many boxes or packs of these things made. So Bitcoiners jumped all over it and people who are into collecting already and really have driven up the price of these cards. Like there was a signed, uh, World of Rusty card, who's an, a Bitcoin artist that sold for 700 bucks. There was a Great Foss card that sold for $5,000 <laughs> like two the weeks Foss. ago. Yeah, there was a Max Kaiser card that sold for $5,000. So, Dude, you haven't made it in Bitcoin unless you're in the pack, unless you're, you're on this deck, seriously. Yeah, when do we get our cards, Josh? Yeah, I don't know, exactly. Man. It's hard to say. We got to get you guys a card for sure. So it's a pretty cool project. I, I have a lot of fun with those guys. 
was Foss cliffed out on that card? Was he at the edge of a cliff with skis on, like trying to rotate his hips over? <laughs> no, actually, he's like really buttoned up, and and it's like uh, it's like business, Greg Foss, oh. uh, which is actually kind of funny uh, because that's not how we know him and have come to love him. Yeah, definitely uh, not. If anyone's yeah, ever right? heard him on this show, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so anyway, we might have to get like a, a wild Greg Foss card as well and For sure. you know, another version of it foss wild yeah when he gets led by seb bunny off the off the trail off the cliffs love to get that <laughs> exactly. one it's a rare one yeah there needs to be like bitcoiner uh, attribute cards too like clipston's hair and shit like that exactly yeah you can put clipston's hair on foss and you know max kaiser's shorts oh, or know. shoes yeah <laughs> or shoes like, exactly. for sure Dan from Blue Collar Bitcoin's penis is one of the most powerful, <laughs> powerful cards. Yeah, dude. yeah that's, that's <laughs> a series in and of itself, right there. That's got to be so extremely scarce and large. That's a that's a tough play there. But the yeah. guys are doing they are doing a uh, an educational series now where they're just going to print a bunch of them. That's not they're going to worry about scarcity and collectability. So the original mission of educating people uh, will be fulfilled, and you know we can just get them cheap and give them out to people. Um, so. It's cool. It's a really cool project. So awesome. shout out to, to those guys. Very cool. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll link to that. That's cool. Yeah. Introduce yourself for someone that's been asleep at the wheel here, doesn't know who you are. We are longtime uh, admirers, citizen Bitcoin inspiration to some extent. Uh, you've you've collected some incredible early guest mm. cards, by the way. Very I'm thinking rare. back to your GG conversation, your Breathe oh, yeah. Love conversation, some special conversations. Anyways, yeah. who are you? Introduce yourself to our audience before we get into this. Yeah, yeah. My name is Brady Swenson. Um, I got into Bitcoin in really early 2017, right when it broke, right around when it broke uh, 1,000 again, which I think was late 2016. It's like January, February, and I had actually I, I looked up later, like a year later, uh, that I had a Coinbase account from 2014. I had totally forgotten about. I remembered, uh, and so I looked in my uh, email history, and I found it, and I had uh, not had trouble connecting my bank or something, and so I just kind of gave up. So th that's pretty interesting. You know, that's, there's a lot of those stories in Bitcoin where you're like, oh, if only when you had that very first touch and it just didn't connect with you at all, if only you had bought then, but you, know, got you, can't, one, yeah. you can't think that way. Yeah, you can't think that way. So I got in 2017 and, and did the gauntlet, the whole, you know, hero's journey uh, of Bitcoin, went through Ethereum and Cardano and a bunch of other coins, uh, you know, six, seven months. And there was also the uh, the block size wars at the time. So there was that whole debate between Bitcoin Cash and Roger Ver and and all the Bitcoiners. And so I was trying to make sense of all that. And I was going back and reading a bunch of like old stuff because that debate started, you know, 2012, 2013, maybe even earlier than that. Um, and by about November, I had pretty much decided I was on uh, the Bitcoin side of the things. So during... Thanksgiving 2017, I had about half of my coins in Bitcoin Cash and half of my coins in Bitcoin. And I remember I was at my mother-in-law's house Thanksgiving weekend or Thanksgiving week, and I was in this Telegram trading room. <laughs> and one of the you know guys in there was like, Bitcoin Cash is like going crazy, you mm -hmm. know, up to the moon. It was like almost fifty, you know, fifty percent of, or it was almost reaching parity with Bitcoins. We lived through that uh, too. Price. We were yeah, early, right? but that we was were a wild there, time, man. Yeah, it was. Crazy. It was bizarre. It was yeah. totally wild. So I was in this trading room, and somebody just said, you know, th this is going to be the most epic red candle in the history of crypto. 
meaning the Bitcoin cash fall from this steep you know, rise. It had been going on for six, seven weeks, but it was just going parabolic. And so I saw that and I was like, I'm out, you know, sold all of my Bitcoin cash for Bitcoin. It was a really, I mean, I didn't quite catch the absolute top, but it was like really, really good. I, and I was so jacked. I stayed up all night. My mother-in-law wakes up at like six in the morning and starts making coffee. And I'm just like, oh man, I made so much Bitcoin last night. You know, I had no idea. I was just like completely manic. It was hilarious. She's like, what did my daughter do? Marrying this loser. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's like, what is going on with this guy? I have no idea what's going on. Um, yeah, I totally freaked her out. But that was it. Then I never bought another altcoin at that point. So it was like November 2017. I started Citizen Bitcoin in 2018. And it was I was in this co-working space here where I am now and had a friend and he was curious about Bitcoin. He used to see my trading charts and that's why he, used, he you know initially asked me about it. And we had talked, we would go out to lunch and stuff. I was like, let's just start recording these conversations. Like it'll be a forcing function for us to learn. Like we need to know what we're talking mm, about. Even there's, yep. if there's only like 10 people listening to us, like we need to, you know, put out a good product. So we need to know what we're talking about. And we did that for a whole year. Every other week, we sat down and did like 30, 40 minutes went through the news and stuff like that. In 2019, I gained enough confidence and like felt like I learned enough that I could start interviewing people. And so in early 2019, I was like, look, I've got a list of 10 people in the space. If I can get these 10 people on my podcast, it's going to you know, take off. It'll establish the podcast. And within the first 20 episodes, I got nine of those people. Uh, and it, it was astonishing like how readily Bitcoiners were willing to come on your show i was yes. you know absolutely nobody had yeah, no audience same you know anything yeah absolutely just very very cool and willing to to help out somebody another bitcoiner is like you know trying to to make something work and so i spent that year interviewing people i went to bitcoin 2019 the next year and uh and that was kind of that's where i met Corey, and i had established kind of a name for myself at that point and um six months later was working with Corey and Jan to get Swan spun up. So pretty, pretty fun, wild ride. And it's a hell of a journey, man. It was a, it was good timing. There was very little uh, competition in the Bitcoin podcast space in like, you know, early 2018 and in 2019. So times have changed. Yeah. It's because we got in in 2017. And one thing we say on here, you know, for some people have been in way longer than that, but for a lot, they haven't. It's unbelievable how much the the media landscape the information the access to to really good signal has changed i mean when we first got going i'm sure you would resonate with this like andreas antonopoulos was really tip of the spear with a yeah. lot of the education and yep. that's really was our go-to i mean you had your few podcasts right you yep. got going you marty uh peter was going i don't know who else would be on that list but it Stephane. was really sparse and thin yeah, yeah lavera yeah um but it is amazing how far it's come I mean, it's it's in a lot of ways saturated, but that's a wonderful thing. Like people wanting yeah. to explore this amazing frontier with a microphone in front of their face is a wonderful thing. Have at it, you know? Absolutely. It's funny um, the way you described your journey. I mean, a lot of it has parallels to what we did. We just had conversations at the firehouse about this and decided to play around with doing it publicly. But we had yeah. one singular goal or one uh, guest in mind, and it was Preston Pish. That was it. We we used to call him our white buffalo. And that was the entire uh, goal that we had was to talk to Preston. And then we made that happen. And we've done it three times now, which is awesome. So yeah. we don't really know. We're kind of wandering in the desert at this point. Like we don't have a point. We're just <laughs> having conversations. 
but it's been a blast, man. It, it is funny, though. I mean, that that it, that's where it needs to be. And I'm sure you'll resonate with this, Brady. Like it has to start and end as a passion project. Like Correct. It, it's you're going to if you're if you're starting any kind of content creation podcast, Substack, whatever. You need to want to be doing it because A, you're going to be doing it for a while for free, no matter what. And even if you do start making money, it's still like in a lot of ways, a labor of love. You're not going to produce a good product if the passion is there. And that's, you know, we're we're a little more than two years into this. The thing the two of us say to each other all the time is the number one priority is us remaining passionate and excited about each weekly conversation. Because if that's not in place, right. There's, it's not going to be good for us. We're not going to keep doing it. No one's going to want to listen. There's no reason to do it. It shows through completely from the product as well. Like you, you can tell if people are not engaged in whatever they're talking about. They're just going through the motions. It's like a zombie. It's like watching a zombie podcast yeah. or something. It's 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 apparent when you're listening if people are having fun or they're just the dregs that are having to do it because they signed up for this and now they're kind of committed to it or whatever. Um, Have you, you guys ever had an it. episode or like a week where you feel like you uh, you hit a wall or you just want, like weren't up for it? Oh yeah, for sure. We for sure yeah. have had that. I mean, it's, I think it's just a product of doing anything for enough time. Like you're going to run sure. into some kind of roadblock or it's like writer's block in a way. Like you're just like not inspired for that period of time or whatever it is. I mean, for us, I think it's helpful that we only do this once a week. I think if we did it, like tried to push it to like three or four in a week, I think we'd really run into that wall. Yeah. But it gives us enough, t- enough time to breathe. It gives us enough time to like research, kind of learn about what we're talking about, the guest and whoever. A one a week makes it easier, I think. I think one a week is the right cadence, man. Like it's just I agree. It scheduling is difficult, you know, it's it's time consuming, prepping is time consuming. Uh, you know, the post production and getting it up there and then, you know, marketing that, you know, putting out on social and all of that. It takes a lot more time to, you know, run a podcast than a lot of yeah, people might think. It does, for yeah. sure. I, I think it you know, one thing, one advantage we have that that you didn't for a lot of your time is is a partnership. Um, like it's helpful having two cooks in the kitchen. If one guy's able to research a little bit less that week, someone else can pick it up. If someone's, yeah. you know, in our case, we all, we have to, we both work different 24 hour shifts. So we have to record when I come off duty. Yep. So if I get smoked at night, um, you know, last night, four calls after midnight, uh, juiced up on Starbucks here, by the way, I'm probably going to have to pee like a Clydesdale with an enlarged <laughs> prostate here before long. Um, yep. but you know, it's helpful to have two guys right in here and, and to double back, like, occasionally this may come across poorly to somebody that wants to come on here. We celebrate and appreciate everybody that wants to come on here, but the two of us are just like deeply committed to mutually being excited about who we're about to talk to, because I'm sure you could say after doing this for years, if you're not pumped to talk to the person, it's hard to rally, you know? True. Yeah, absolutely. Although when that does happen and it does happen sometimes, you know, you get in 10, 15 minutes and it's just like, okay, You're back in it. I, mm. I'm here. I'm talking to a Bitcoiner. I'm really curious about their story. And it, it you know, Bitcoin just kind of your, that, uh, that passion for Bitcoin makes it work and makes it happen, which is, you know, the same way that things work at Swan too. Like we have such an amazing culture at Swan and everybody's on the mission. That's why it's so amazing because we're all united about Bitcoin. Bitcoin does our does most of the work for us in terms of maintaining a super strong culture at Swan. Um, and that's, you know, we wake up in the morning, you might be feeling it, not want to, you know, get into the trenches that day, but, uh, you know, you do it for Bitcoin and everybody's on the mission. It's great. Yeah. Extremely well said. I mean, this, this, this protocol and network just year over year continues to captivate us 
more and more. And I think it does so, Brady, in the sense that like we've known that this technology is vitally important for our demographic, the middle class and below. But yeah. as as the shit show gets worse and worse and things get more and more fragile, our conviction increases that this really is an absolute necessity, at the very least, a, n- a necessary hedge for people that that work for a living the way we do. I mean, it's it's important for everybody, but as we look at our peers in the circles we run in, I think we're just both of us are just in continued alignment that we want to keep getting the message out because we view it as just so incredibly paramount that people start accumulating some of this. Yeah, once you start realizing the just absolutely extensive impacts of fiat money, you know, it, it weasels its way into everything. Like even your like your own personal uh, sort of sense of yourself, uh, your relationship with your family, like it, it gets into everything. It's not just like the economy. It doesn't stop there. It gets into everything. And it's, you have kids or something, or there's, uh, you know, maybe to me, it's the, you know, the biggest motivational force in my life is, are my kids, like taking care of my kids and making yep. sure that they are set up for success in their lives. And that is to me, fiat money is one of the, if not the biggest enemy standing in front of them having a successful life and being happy and fulfilled. And it's just, that's how important money is to each and every one of our lives, not just the society itself. It's like, it's a very individual thing. Once you start realizing that, then it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to the mattresses for this, you know? This is about my kid's future. This is about the, you know, just the, the humanity's future. So it's too much to... Uh, just set aside once you've seen that you can't unsee that you've just got to fight yet money is literally the language that we communicate value to each other through and right it's i mean that sounds like a we've probably said that a thousand times on this podcast but when you really understand that when you understand that these messages that we send each other are are the underpinnings of the economy of value that move throughout the world and the underpinnings of it all that money being broken affects things and cascades through the system that like butterfly yep. effect of it um, and can can really screw things up in ways that you may not even realize, you know, three or four orders of magnitude away. So the fundamental problem that we have in so many things is the money and fixing that. And it's such a, you know, it's such a trite thing to say at this point, but fixing the money really does fix a lot of the problems in the world. Yeah, it sure does. does. Yep. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind about that at this point. Like Bitcoin's one of these kind of, I mean, this is true of a lot of of big topics, but for me, it's just these simple truths, these simple realizations that you've made like six times at this point. Back to to your journey and our journey. You realized that, you know, I realized it reading the Internet of Money One by Andreas Antonopoulos back in 2017 for the first time. It recurs like annually where you come back to these realizations and then you kind of see the global economic climate, society in general, these are broad sweeping words, but, but things really kind of playing out in the fragile and unsubstantive and concerning manner that, that you've sized them up to be. The, the message, the overarching message is fragility, and we're seeing time and time again, right in front of our eyes, just how increasingly, exponentially increasingly fragile the system is. And then in the vast majority of society, is just completely blind to these realities. I mean, back yeah. to back to the people we report to duty with every day. I mean, they're just they're reporting every third day, taking risks, thinking that the future's secure, 
And there's real world consequences to even what we've seen unfold over the last few years. I mean, guys that retired three years ago have meaningfully lost buying power, lost freedom, lost leverage in life with potentially 30 years ahead in retirement. And, yeah. and, and then you zoom, you, you, you move the pieces over here and you say, there really doesn't have to be that much of a commitment. Someone can take a one, two, 5% hedge in this and probably be completely okay, or at least that's the working thesis. But yeah, I mean, I guess the unfortunate reality is that you can't force a horse to drink. You can do everything you can to lead them to water. And I'm sure you can think of examples in your life at nauseum, Brady, that, that corroborate this. Yeah. But man, yeah. it is hard to make a Bitcoiner. Like but, I, you, yeah. you see the success stories on Twitter, but especially in these bear climates, it's challenging. The crazy thing about these bank failures lately is, I mean, I think we're at aggregate, almost at an equal level to the failures that happened in 2008, but nobody seems to care. Like the mainstream media just kind of glosses over it. It's just kind of a fugazi. Nobody's noticing. It's all getting swept under the rug. I mean, we're again, reaching the, uh, the debt limit and we all know what's going to happen. They're just going to raise the debt limit again. We're going to get to 35 trillion or whatever. And this show just keeps going on. It's like a, I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, Elvis movie yet, but his manager who kind of, uh, kind of hosed Elvis out of most of the money here, or a good chunk of the money he made was a professional carny who used to call himself a snowman, just snow everybody. It's like this, the Fed is just a professional snowman at this time. They're just snowing everybody into not understanding what's going on. And Nobody's paying attention to the to the underpinnings of what's actually going on here in a in a scary way. Yeah, hence the need for education, which is a good like. Wh when did the education become such a prominent focus for Swan? Uh, you guys started as like yeah. give Bitcoin, right? It just and then you morphed into like more of a just a DCA, and now like when I think Swan Bitcoin, honestly, the headliners education. When did that insert itself? How did it become such a priority? It was from the very beginning, actually. So the premise of Give Bitcoin, which was the precursor to Swan, uh, and I can talk about how we sort of transitioned into Swan from that, but Give Bitcoin, it was very simple. It was, you log in, you put in an email address, you put in an amount of money to buy to turn into Bitcoin, and an email goes to that recipient, the gift recipient, and along with that gift, Every month, they get the ch a chapter of a book that takes you through Bitcoin. The original idea was that that Bitcoin was held for 12 months by Give Bitcoin, so you couldn't withdraw withdraw until you received all this education. Forced hodling, so yeah. It, for, uh, it was kind of like a forced hodl, and you know, basically, it, it was the it was a way to orange pill your friends and family. I'm going to give you some sats, so you have skin in the game, and we're going to give you this education. You're going to get it once a month. It's going to be like you know, low bar, uh, totally approachable, accessible education. Uh, it was, you know, it, that was the idea from the beginning. So we just brought that through um, from Give Bitcoin to Swan. The reason we ended up switching to Swan is we had pickup on the products on Give Bitcoin. Bitcoiners were coming in and setting up recurring gifts to themselves to stack sats, right? Because we had this like, you know, give a, give, a, give a gift every year. So it's like for somebody's birthday or whatever. But you could also do it weekly. And uh, people were stacking sats every week. So they're just using it as a DCA, you know, and you could do DCA elsewhere. I think Coinbase had it at that time. It was actually not a part of trading platforms for the most part. Uh, but Coinbase did have it, but nobody wanted to use Coinbase. Everyone wanted to use a Bitcoin, you know, company. So the appetite for a Bitcoin based DCA uh, 
app was huge. Uh, so we ended up rebranding the Swan and really focusing on that. And um, the pickup was like, it was just shocking, honestly, to the, the degree, the order of magnitude at which we ended up, uh, you know, adding people in those first few months. It was awesome. I think um, something that is so underrated generally in investment is DCA because it's, an ad- it's basically an admission that you're not smarter than the world. You're not smarter than the market. And it allows you to spend those mental cycles that you would have otherwise spent mm. trying to time the market on things that are more <laughs> important in your life. One of the things that I like to do with Swan is I pour it on a lot harder when Bitcoin is kind of shitting the bed. And then I yeah. kind of back off when Bitcoin's going well. And I feel like that satisfies the inner, the inside trader that I always have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I would always traditionally just go whole hog and just buy a huge chunk of Bitcoin when I thought it was a good time. And then you'd find out like two weeks later, like, oh, shit, I fucked up. But just being able to like turn that sucker up to like 10 and then drop back down to two, it satisfies yep. my need to trade while also DCAing me in at a pretty decent level. So I really appreciate that. So Josh, do you, do you know that we have target buys now? No, I don't. Tell me what that is. Yeah. Target buy. So where, where are we right now? 28,000. So let's say, uh, you know, you're like, okay, Bitcoin's probably going to dip at some point. We're going to wick down to 26,000. So you just set a target at 26,000 and then Swan will automatically buy when Bitcoin or if Bitcoin hits that price. Nice. It's pretty I fun. Like that. But then Josh won't be able to click a button, Brady. That's the problem. Yeah, that's true. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do. Yeah. I think I'll probably implement that to a degree. The problem, though, is it might not hit that. You know what I mean? It's a pre-click, Dan. It's a pre-click. You're right. <laughs> Just have to tell himself it's exciting when he's doing it, you know? <laughs> sorry, Josh. I interrupted you. No, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, like, the only problem I have with that is if it doesn't hit that number, then I didn't. I missed out completely. So I still, I don't know, yeah. I kind of still prefer my method, whether or not it makes yeah. actual sense in my own head, it does. So it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. G- give us some more of your thoughts just on DCA in general, because it really is the bread and butter of Swan's business. And like, I-, I found it comical and adorable and in some ways frustrating. The people on Twitter in the heart of this bear market talking shit about D- DCA. Yeah. The thing we have to be aware of in Bitcoin and this is a wonderful thing, but there's a lot of people that this is the first asset they've meaningfully accumulated. They're brand new to investing. They didn't have any financial literacy before coming to Bitcoin. And so they're they're coming at market cycles with a brand new set of goggles on. They don't have any yeah. scars. They don't have any preconceived notions. But it's like, yeah, obviously we're at the, the absolute valley of a bear market. Like if you've been DCAing, the numbers aren't going to look great here. And I think it was Corey that even said recently, like, if you just zoom out a little bit, if you started a DCA at the absolute peak, 69K, you're already back up in the green in this yep. amount of time. Yep. Uh, high level thoughts from you about how you share, how you recommend, and your thoughts on DCAing in general. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, it's got to be kind of a core part of your strategy, right? Um, I honestly don't do anything else. If like, I will, if I happen to come into a chunk of change, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll smash it all at whatever, you know, whenever I get it. I don't usually try to time the market. Like you said, like you just mentioned, if you over a long enough period of time, that moment where you buy or you bought, you know, versus like it was $5,000 less, you know, than if you were trying to time it, you're like, oh no, I missed it at 25 and now I'm buying at 30. And well, when Bitcoin's 500, a million dollars a coin, like that's, you know, it's, 
it doesn't it doesn't matter i mean you're gonna have enough <laughs> you had enough yeah uh, right. we're all gonna have enough i think we're, we're gonna be just fine so uh, i don't really worry about that much when people like decide to come in and make their first buys usually we recommend you know you make a big lump sum uh, up front and maybe you spread that out over like eight to ten weeks or something or yep. you just smash it all at once and then you set up your dca from there so that's that's usually the best way to do it um it's low overhead, you know, cognitive load is, is low, like uh, Josh was talking about, which is, you know, can't be uh, like undervalued. Like, mm. you know, it's when I was trading in 2017, it was stress, man, stress. Yeah. Absolute stress. Uh, and it didn't go well for me. Like I ended up basically where I had started, which is, which I think was, you know, a win <laughs> to tell you the truth. And that was like, after I paid my taxes and stuff, right. which were, you know, an absolute shock to me. Like I didn't, do my research about any yeah. of that stuff. I'd never really actively traded anything, no equities right. or anything like that before. It was all new to me. And uh, yeah, so it was it was a bit of a shock on all the short-term capital gains, taxes and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it was absolute stress. And my wife, you know, commented on it. She's like, I don't want you to do this anymore. Like, I don't like the person you are when you're trading, you know? Like, just tired all the time, grumpy, like just, you know, falling asleep early, waking up, uh, waking up, you know, super early, going to bed super late, whatever it was, it was just like abnormal sleep hours. You know, I've got two kids. It was just, it was not, not good. So I would say don't trade. It's bad for you. You know, it's even more stressful. And it, at least at that time, it was for me. Um, I, I, there was this shit coin called Verge back then. My brother yeah, gave me like 50 one. bucks worth of it. And it was worth like a 10th of a cent when he gave it to me. And it went up to like 30 cents. And I was like, oh my God, I'm yeah. sitting on like, tens of thousands of dollars of this shit coin. So I'm like, I got to sell this. And he gave it to me on a paper wallet. The problem was, is like, there was no easy way to get this shit off of the paper wallet. So it ended up being like a two day stress filled event. And by the time I ended up selling it, it was worth like half as much as its peak. <laughs> it was just a wild ride, but yeah, yeah, the stress can't be overstated. It's, it's just not fun. You both alluded to kind of what I was mentioning earlier, which is like, <clears throat> for a lot of people, this is the first market they've meaningfully traded for example josh i think you can probably think back on some conversation the crypto craze of 2017 at our fire department nuts. 2018 you had guys with some serious gains moving in in and out of coins and i remember one specific conversation explaining to someone like mentioning capital gains and they're like what what come again i'm like <laughs> ca yeah. capital gains they're like yeah. what are those uh, you know what I mean? So like there's a, there's a big education hurdle, even for a lot of these people in altcoins, just about basic tax law yep. when it comes to moving securities around, um, oh, which yeah. is a, just another reason why don't even get people into that messy hog pen. Just right. tell them to yep. accumulate Bitcoin, whisk it off into cold storage as Preston Pish says, fall asleep for five years and wake back up and we'll have a conversation. Exactly right. Yeah. If you don't sell, you don't have to worry about any of that nonsense. And I've been in the position where I bought it Swan, I bought it Coinbase, I bought it Strike, I bought it like five different places and then sold, say, you know, a bit of it for some reason. And then I'm like, oh shit, now I have to figure out my cost basis for this Bitcoin <laughs> that I bought at five different places and sold yeah. at this other place, Cash App or whatever. And it's a nightmare. Just don't do it. Just don't bother. It is an absolute nightmare. I've, I, yeah, I've been through that whole song and dance. Me too. It's no fun. Me too. One thing I appreciate about Swan, back to kind of the education, it, Corey's good at this. Here, you talk about it. Uh, I think of Elise Colleen, too, when she was on here. We talked a lot about this subject, which is just like winning the narrative war. At yeah. the end of the day, 
it needs to be based in fact and and logic and sound reasoning but we do have a cultural narrative war that we need to wage and win oh yeah so like it or not there are sound bites and heuristics that we need to throw out there that people can latch onto like for us Bitcoin is middle class money, right? It's mm-hmm. architected for your average carpenter and firefighter and tradesman, right? Yep. yep. Um, you know, I'm thinking about swan themes. Like it felt like, you know, last year you guys, Bitcoin, not crypto. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the narrative war in general? What are some new ideas or themes that you folks are kind of trying to hammer home as we as we try to get this thing out into the mainstream? Yeah, well, meme wars are real and Bitcoiners are pretty adept at meme warfare. And I'm not just talking about like the gifs and stuff, which are fantastic and do certainly contribute uh, to the narrative war in a in a meaningful way. But it's also just the messaging, straight up like classic public relations, marketing strategy, uh, political type, um, you know, positioning things like that, uh, where it there's a well thought out. Uh, sort of uh, practice and professional approach to all of these things. And Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing department, but it does have a lot of people, just like it has a lot of developers who who work on it. There are also a lot of people who are well-versed in marketing and messaging, writing, podcasting, um, making art, etc. There's all kinds of ways to express these these narratives. And we're getting pretty good at it. And I think we use Twitter as sort of the proving ground for these narratives. Um, which memes will win, which memes have uh, the most impact, or whatever that kind of impact you're trying to get uh, get to. So I think that the Bitcoin, not crypto message is really aimed at the mainstream media because the mm. the coverage always lumps in Bitcoin with crypto. And completely confuses what these two very different things have to do with one another. There are similarities, but for the most part, crypto and Bitcoin are very different, if not opposite in many ways, you know? Yeah. Um, And so trying to explain that idea to the mainstream media who are then amplifying narratives, that's what they do, right? That's what they try to do. And they will, and you know, you can debate as much as you want how they choose those narratives to, to push or to amplify or, or whatever, even if it was supposed to be these kind of classical journalism approach where they're just trying to amplify, you know, an even approach on both sides of a debate or something, uh, or they're just to have a straight up point of view that they're, that they're pushing. They are, they are doing that. That's what they do is push narratives onto um, people uh, through all of their public publishing and, and media outlets. And so we do, I think it's important that we, we do need to, influence the perception of these people who are running these companies these media companies of, of bitcoin and also of politicians and we have lots of people who are working on both so last year Corey was all over the mainstream media because he was calling out uh these you know ponzi schemes and you know illegal securities uh you know trading companies that ended up actually going down. He was, you know, calling yeah. for that. And there were lots of people around. So he looks prophetic in retrospect. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And he's, you know, he'll tell you that those calls were really influenced by other people who had, you know, been sounding the alarm well before Corey, but he had a, a you know, like a, a microphone, a megaphone, and 
was able to take those narratives and very like effectively uh, just demolish everyone. So like his ability to spread a narrative on Twitter last year was like I- incredible. Like he really just leveled up and like yeah, rose he really doesn't have any qualms about just kneecapping people, no, which is no just hilarious like, to watch. And yeah, it is. Yeah, you team him and Yellow up, and the two of them could just crush this whole thing all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be something to see. I think yeah. I think uh, I think Yellow works for us. I, I heard something on, on Twitter that Yellow is working for Swan, but I don't know anything about that. Swan mascot. Wait, does anybody know who who this mysterious Yellow actually is? Do we has he been demasked or uh, doxed yet? I don't know who he is. I, I don't know who he is, but he's. Uh, He's legendary. A special, a special person. Yes, he is. I do know that. I do know that. Uh, so, yeah. So Corey was really pushing the Bitcoin is not crypto narrative, and I think we need to push that one like forever until crypto goes away. That one is, I think, one of the most important like existential risks to Bitcoin in terms of it's not existential risk, but it's one of the risks of that will lead us toward like you know a bad outcome, like some kind of ban or effective ban on Bitcoin you know, from the U S government. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's where it would end up, I think. And we want to avoid that. Uh, we want to win the race to avoid the war as Corey, you know, talks about. Um, and so that's what, yeah, that's what we can do with narratives. I think, um, we have a chance to avoid that war. It's going to get dicey here over the next couple of years. Elizabeth Warren is really heading, you know, going headstrong into crypto I don't think she's going to be the only one. She's she's uh, she's raising the army, the anti-crypto army, mm. and uh, those sides will kind of be drawn. It's going to become increasingly polarized. I think the path for us is to try to maintain some bipartisanship around yes Bitcoin. It's you know leaning ever more over to the red side of the aisle, and yeah. I think we need to get some some key Democrats to really understand, like some pro-tech Democrats that to really understand that. We need to keep this technology on American soil and we need to innovate here. Otherwise, it's going to go somewhere else and we're going to, you know, be a risk. Our economy will be a risk. Our national security will be a risk. We need to keep the innovation happening here as much as possible. I think that's a, a narrative that we can sell to, yeah. to Democrats. Um, follow up on a couple of your points, which I thought were really good. First of all, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. To, cut, to give her a little bit of a bone here. She's she's creating an anti-crypto army. Yeah. Understandably so, because in her mind, Bitcoin and crypto mean the same thing. And yeah. I think the three of us are in alignment, certainly Swan and Blue Collar Bitcoin are in alignment that, that, that these tools is, and these assets, just as you mentioned earlier, are not just different. They are completely disparate, almost on the opposite side yeah. of the, the, the ethos and purpose and functionality and risk profile of Bitcoin. She has these all coupled together and she wants them gone just like we do. The problem with her understanding is that Bitcoin's lumped in there. And that's why I you know, totally agree that the Bitcoin, not crypto, at the very least, the medium term goal is just to separate these two terms instead of them yep. being synonymous. But yep. I, I get it. Why she's anti-crypto, especially after what we've seen the last few years. Absolutely. I'm anti-crypto too, Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we got to understand that these two things are not the same. For sure. Like they both use cryptography. Like that's pretty much it. It's about it. They, that's yeah. kind of where it ends. Uh, <clears throat> their, their goals are completely different. Yeah. I mean, us and a bullfrog, homo sapien and a bullfrog have a lot of the same DNA too. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. other thing I was going to say is that I, the bipartisan comment is so true. And 
the more divide that exists, the, the less likely Bitcoin is to get protection legislatively and legally, and the more likely it is to be attacked in my mind. And that's why like groups like Bitcoin Policy Institute, Satoshi Action Fund, you guys, I mean, the list can go on and on. You can sit in your basement and just try to separate completely from the system, but this is the water we swim in. And if yep. we want to stay afloat, uh, we need to remain buoyant. And there are real life regulatory risks. Like I, I, Bitcoin's going nowhere on a decades long time frame. But us as Bitcoiners, you know, me, Dan, as the father of two and the husband and the the person trying to provide with my own stack, I can be meaningfully affected in terms of the opportunities I have, the risks I take on if the regulatory climate goes completely sideways. So I do encourage. Right listeners and anyone invested in this space like don't be too cool for the regulatory legal and legislative conversation surrounding this because it is yes. really going to affect your life yeah it if is. you're yeah. a hardcore bitcoiner in your stack and you can make a difference i mean because not that many people are pretty apathetic so not that many yeah. people actually take time to call or write to their representatives or senators and so yeah you can make a difference if you're active and talking to them and Say, look, I'd love to talk to you about this. I study this stuff all the time, you know, or this is my job. I work in this industry and I'd love to get a moment of your time to talk about this really important technology, you know, yeah. um, get a, get a 15 minutes and it does make a big difference. I think there's also this, the problem that we have with a lot of politicians is that they're just old. I mean, not to be, not to insult, but it is just a fact. Like if when I'm 70 years old, I don't expect to be understanding the latest technological trend as well as I might now. And I don't, ex- I don't expect myself to understand it around 37 or eight that I did when I was 20. You know what I mean? Like this is just a generational gap. It's like, I'm not a style. I'm not expecting to dress stylishly these days when I'm almost 40 years old. Um, yeah. And I don't think Elizabeth Warren has a vapid clue about what she's talking about in the context of this environment. Um, but she's probably aggregating all of her opinions from staffers that might have political leanings one way or another it's just hard to expect people that are in their 70s to actually understand what's going on here yeah and um i think that's a, an issue that needs to be addressed aside from this obviously and they're also going to be inundated very soon i suspect with a lot of artificial intelligence stuff that is potentially going to sideline a lot of this stuff because i think that sure. might be a lot more prescient than worrying about bitcoin and crypto for the meantime but who knows um, but it, there's a lot of interesting stuff moving at the moment that is going to require their understanding and it's all technological and I don't expect them to actually have a clue as to what's really going on. It's, it's scary in that, in that aspect of it. Yeah. I, one thing I agree with you on there very strongly is it would be great to get the 17, 80 year olds out of public government. There should be at least a cognitive test minimum. You're, you're, you, you, guys, you guys have been in control for 40 years, right? Like, yeah. can we please give the, you know, Gen Xers and, and younger a chance to like, you know, make some decisions about the way we should live. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But people are living longer now. So it's like, you know, it, they've, they were born at a time where they started, you know, engaging in public work at a relatively young age or whatever and are you know living to be 70 80 years old and able to be active somewhat in some cases <laughs> yeah. um in, in those uh in their older years so it's just yeah i'm I'm tired of it man i, I think we get uh we have a 
minimum age. I would love to see a maximum age yeah. to put in. Uh, I, I think it'd be fair. At least term limits for senators, you know? Like, you yeah, shouldn't be yeah. there for 30 or 40 years. That's insane. That seems like low-hanging fruit. Totally insane. What are they? I'm not even sure exactly what their uh, pay is. It's probably like $200,000 or something, but how are these people aggregating $60, $100 million estates? Or not estates, yep. but like aggregating that kind of money in the you know 20 years they've been there. That doesn't make any sense at all. But So what started turning me sort of down the government is broken and uh, like road because I grew up in a democratic, you know, very progressive family and that, you know, lots of political activity, people like my dad was a press secretary for a governor here in Kansas. Um, My grandfather held office, stuff like that. So uh, around the time of uh, Occupied Wall Street, I read this book called Public Lost by Lawrence Lessig. He's a law professor. And it just really opened my eyes to how broken our government is at this point. And so I started to become less political in terms of left and right, red and blue, and more political in the sense of like, okay, our government's broken and here's how we're going to fix it. So I was very issue oriented. And Bitcoin like continued that, furthered that for me. So I, I don't play politics. I don't play parties and party politics anymore uh, at all. It's like, to me, it's like watching a football game or something it's like sports it's like it's uh it's it's fun for some people to watch it as yeah, uh, it's entertainment point of view it's entertainment but right. it's not serious it's not something serious to actually like improve pe- people's lives yeah the problem is is that these clowns that entertain us can actually meaningfully impact our lives unlike the football players you know that's the problem that we have and but i think there are people who take it seriously you know it's just it's not completely shot, is my point. And this book really opened my eyes and gave me some hope on like, okay, here's some things that we can actually do from very small actions to very big actions to actually to try to fix this thing. And so I've been working on some of those, you know, for the last 10 years, uh, wherever I have time. But uh, it's, yeah, you should check out that book, Republic Lost, if anybody's interested we'll in it. Put it in the show notes. Here's the, here's the other thing about Bitcoin. Yes, there are a lot of you could say free market um, capitalist underpinnings that appeal to a lot of libertarian minds, more conservative minds. But when you really think big picture, it offers something to all viewpoints. Like, let's just take the progressive side. It really has the potential to carry out the root goals of progressives, though those often hitting on fairness, greater prosperity, less wealth inequality. Like a lot of progressives are pretty fed up with the system and they're trying to fix the system with the system. And so this is why I like that. I haven't read it yet, but like the progressives case for Bitcoin and those conversations of even, you know, bringing people in on the left back to the narrative war and the bipartisan aspect, because I think we are remiss to just label this thing conservative. I mean, let's think HRF, Gladstein, that whole dynamic, right? From a human rights standpoint. And a, and a human inclusion standpoint, a lower class perspective, a middle class perspective. I mean, I published an article in Bitcoin, 10,000 word piece last year specifically about why this is such a magnificent empowerment tool for the middle class. So even coming yep. from our lens, like sometimes I look at it and I think, man, this thing has moved way too far right. And we're dismissing how much it offers to moderates and people on the left if we're going to even use those categories. But this is just such a base layer back to how you kind of said it, Josh. It's just 
It's, it's rewriting and improving a fundamental form of human language. And we should depoliticize that as much as we possibly can, in my opinion. It's interesting to watch how it's kind of transpired over the last, I mean, I've only been involved in it for around six years, but the, the feeling that I get is initially this was all very, you know, computer libertarian type people, computer science mm. people that are very libertarian leaning, right? And so that transpired. And then I think the class of 2017 or that around about that time was more the conservative leaning type libertarian kind of bleeding over into mainstream conservative views. And now in the last year or so, I mean, we see this progressive Bitcoin book. We see a lot more people on Twitter kind of professing this. Um, I think Gladstein's a good example as well, even though I don't know what his politics are, but I know how he views human rights. And that's a lot more from the lens of a progressive viewpoint. And so you, I, you see kind of this bleed from the libertarian fringe, if you want to call it that, towards mainstream conservatism and now even into progressivism. And hopefully that completely uh, bleeds orange all the way across that spectrum. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think you guys are doing a good job of getting that narrative out there for sure. Yeah, thanks. Gladstein might be, man, he, I know you, you're a huge Gladstein he's, fan. He's we my, too. He's my man. His, like, he's my he's, main he's man. He's the goat in your view? Uh, I would. <laughs> Who's the goat? We need this well, out of you. Well, I'll put it this way. Like, oh, we should all pick our goat. I want to, I got to If, key if in you on were this. Go going to give me the opportunity to put one Bitcoiner on a huge platform, I would pick Gladstein in almost every case. Like I, you'd have to tell me exactly what it was and it might be a little different depending on the audience. But Joe Rogan. Yeah, I'd put Gladstein on there. <laughs> Gladstein, yeah. I think That would I be think an interesting Rogan episode. Oh man, it would be killer. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that that message, uh, the message that Bitcoin is freedom is the way to depoliticize this. It's it's not it, everyone on both red and blue teams appreciate freedom, <laughs> you know? They don't want, that's what this country was founded on, right? And it's the word or whatever has sort of been kind of taken by the right as a rallying cry uh, for the the red team more than the blue uses it as a rallying cry. But that's that's silly. That's the sports. That's what I was talking about. That's the games. If you want to look at it seriously, everyone wants human, wants freedom for human beings, right? You want, you don't, you don't want autocracy. You don't want to have any tyranny basically you want to fight tyranny that's what democracy is about that's what republics are about um and so i think that's the way to depoliticize it that's the message i want i would take to the masses is this thing Mm -hmm. is about freedom fiat money is about tyranny and bitcoin is about freedom so let's make that the the fight that we are looking at it's an impossible to come up with a good argument against that, you know? I mean, yeah. the problem between the left and the right, in my view, is that they both want freedom in different ways. Like, you know, the right wants guns, the left wants abortions or whatever. And that's just a, the first thing off the top of my head. But one wants to restrict the uh, rights of the other in some way they want to curtail them. And uh, the perspective I have is allow people to do as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Like, what is, why is it bothering you what your neighbor is choosing to do as long as it's within their own purview? Mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just it's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around how anyone doesn't retain that point of view. Also, guys, let's be on the same team even if we have different viewpoints. We could have a this is where the two-party politics and the and the bifurcation and and everything in the it is starting to get really reprehensible and just toxic and obnoxious in the United States is like let's just take the Bitcoin community for example. We can be two bitcoiners on the same mission and have totally different views on the second amendment. 
For sure. Like we need to be better at this and saying that the, the chances that we're going to align down a list of two party issues are zero, right? So let's just get more used to agreeing to disagree and staying in community with one another and rowing the boat in the same direction on changing the way that value is transferred across time and space and shove a lot of these other issues. You see a lot of this animosity and sort of dogmatic binary thinking on Bitcoin Twitter. It feels like it's escalated to me the last couple of years. And uh, I think at some point we have to just say, let's just shut the fuck up. Let's get a little (laughs) kumbaya session in here, hug it, and let's move this narrative forward because it's a bigger issue. This is what happens during bear markets. Yeah, I agree. But that definitely like um, just speaking to society in general, Dan, on what you were just saying, I think a lot of it is indicative of just the way we communicate with each other. Like someone used the example, I listened to something the other day. If someone cuts you off in line at the bank or something, maybe the bank's a terrible example for this podcast, obviously, <laughs> but they, they walk in front of you, cut you off. You don't flip them off to their face. You know, you don't do that because that's just not a social norm. But if someone cuts you off in their car in a line, like somehow that's normal and you can flip them off because it's less personal, right? And then on Twitter, it's an order of magnitude less personal, right? So you can tell someone to go fuck themselves. You don't see them. You don't know them. They're just some picture, yeah. if whatever it is. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. And so it's like this, the, it's just the less personal interhuman relations that we seem to be having uh, in the last 10 to 20 years just pour fuel on the fire of people hating each other. Yeah. Um, and most of these people you disagree with, if you sat down and had a real conversation with them, you probably would be able to find some common ground. Yeah. As, as I say with, with guys that get into it at the firehouse that have, you know, in our career, Brady, you, when you get hired at a good agency, you stay for essentially 30 years and you'll have guys that have quote unquote hated each other for 12 years. Yeah. And you're like, if these two fuckers just went on a canoe trip, went up to the boundary waters and camp for three days, they'd probably come back loving each other again. You know <laughs> what I mean? Let's hug it out here. Yeah. Um, all right. To transition a little bit, we want to hear a little bit about what's going on at Swan. Let's talk yeah. about Swan priorities, what you're working on. Well, let's start there. Yeah. You are, you, you, you're done with Swan signal. Yes. Um, which it's in good hands, but it was a bummer to see you go. Talk to us about that transition and what you're up to specifically. And then more broad, broadly Swan's goals in general maybe the next year or two. Yeah, so Swan Signal actually started, it was, I ran both Citizen Bitcoin and Swan Signal for, uh, for quite a while. And uh, it started on like March 29th, which was the day after the big COVID crash where we hit 3,800 or whatever it was. What a day to launch. And well, we hadn't planned it, but you know, the sentiment on Twitter was getting pretty, pretty down, pretty low. And uh, like even uh, Friar Hass, who was like massive Bitcoin bull DCA champion um, and, you know, kind of one of the like founding spirits of Swan because he was such a DCA champion and he really wanted companies to build this thing out. Um, he was he was wavering. He was like, oh, no, I'm not. Guys, I'm not. I'm losing conviction, which was a, you know, big signal. So uh, I was like, I wrote Corey that night. I was like, we got to go live tomorrow. We got just got to go live on Twitter and youtube and whatever else and and uh bring in some some friends and try to rally the troops a little bit bring up morale storm the beach yeah so we had like guy swan and john vallis and prior has came on and Gigi and jan and Corey and me and we just talked for like two or three hours about about you know bitcoin and this is just uh you know temporary blip it's a great time to stack great time to stack sats and here's the way it's going to be in like a year or two and and all of that stuff and then uh, we, it was just like so great and p- 
people responded so well to it that um, the next week I did it again uh, with, I think it was Parker Lewis and, and Marty Bet and me. And I was like, okay, well, this is the format. We're going to get two guests and, uh, and a host, and we're just going to have conversation. There's nobody else in the space doing this, and I'm going to keep it like a stable of guests. There's like 30 or 35 people that will ever be on this podcast. You know, and there, you know, some people will come on and off the list or whatever, but um, it's going to be kind of like Meet the Press, you know, which, ran, which I mm-hmm. think is still running, as longest running TV show uh, ever at this point, um, where they just have like 30 people they bring on as rotating guests of, from the media and stuff. So it, um, it took off and was so much fun to do, like really fun to do that format and uh, find pairs of people to put together. That was really fun. And so we made some really cool shows. And uh, it was a couple of years, made 96 episodes, um, and then handed it off to Sam Callahan, who is uh, doing a fantastic job with it now. And like I think it was Andy Edstrom on the last episode said, uh, Brady, I'm sorry, but a smarter and better looking version, smarter, better looking and younger version of you came along, so you're out. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Uh, anyway. I don't think he has the hair to compete. Though, he's to he's doing all right. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, it was great, great run. So I uh, ran marketing for Swan for a long time. Then we got pretty big, and so we decided to we got big enough to uh, kind of separate concerns a bit. And so in November of last year, I started heading up the Swan Media team, which we developed to to just run all of our media production stuff and every all of our shows, everything. And, um, that was fantastic. I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do next. And then we brought in, we found like scored a fantastic hire from, uh, Bitcoin magazine had to let P go. Uh, and P was on a, a show, a critical show of Bitcoin magazines. And he was just like a freaking genius, uh, and all around cool guy. And so we ended up picking him up. And so after a couple of months, he was on my team. After a couple of months, it was clear that like P could just run media and Corey was trying to hire somebody to run marketing for global wealth. And so he just said, you know, like we're not finding anybody that we're in love with and you just need to come over (laughs) back over to the marketing side. So that's where I am now. Brandon Quidham, who some listeners, many listeners will probably know. Um, he's been on here recently yeah so Brandon runs uh, marketing for Swan Personal and then I run marketing for Swan Global Wealth so Swan Personal is is like our our DCA our app our, our you know kind of core uh, product and then we have three products that are more kind of financial offerings Swan Advisor which allows financial advisors to buy Bitcoin on behalf of their clients and manage their Bitcoin portfolio uh, great piece of software we've got you know quite a few uh, financial advisors using that now. And one of the things I love about that is it's a one-to-many uh, product. So you're mm. orange pilling, you get one financial advisor, you're orange pilling 50, 100 people. And uh, you know, they're, they're a long-term customers. They're putting together IRAs, they're you know, putting this into their long-term investment portfolios. And so they're stacking regularly and they're learning, they're getting all our education as well. We have Swan Business, which uh, serves you know, exactly what it says serves businesses, allows people to stack on their treasury. We also have a Bitcoin benefit plan, which is becoming increasingly popular. Also a one-to-many product. So you create a benefit plan for your employees. They get an X amount of Bitcoin every month. It's a fringe benefit. And uh, it's great for employee retention. People love it. They get all the education as well. So another one-to-many. You get one company on board. You might get 10 people. 
getting the benefit, you might get 500 people getting the benefit. Pretty cool way to orange pill people at scale. And then we have Swan Private, which is our high net worth, uh, family offices, trust, et cetera, uh, division, very hands-on concierge service. Uh, and it's really grown like gangbusters over the past 18 months. And so it's become a very significant part of our business. So I'm working uh, with those three divisions of the company on marketing and hiring right now, actually, a director of marketing to work with me uh, directly. And um, it's on bitcoinerjobs.com. If anybody happens to listen to this and that fits your, fits your description uh, and something you'd be interested in doing, I uh, would love to see your resume. So go to bitcoinerjobs.com and check out the director of marketing position for Global Wealth. So that's what I'm doing now. That's Swan. Um, we've got IRAs now. We're really pushing that hard. Um, that is just taking off. Absolutely taking it's off. Badass. Yeah, totally taking off. And it's an absolutely incredible product. The experience is phenomenal. It is so easy and so fast. If you're a Swan customer, you can create an IRA in like 30 seconds. It's like two clicks. And you have an IRA and then like two more clicks and you can have, you know, Bitcoin in there. Uh, and yeah. you can- set, It's you epic. Can, I mean, it's just amazing with all the complexity that they've, they've hidden behind this like really simple UI is absolutely amazing. Same thing with the business onboarding. I mean, everything is on our, all of our products are just like really easy to use, which is and fast and quick and makes things where our onboarding time for the regular Swan app is super simple. We have a low KYC uh, onboarding process now. So it's like the last four of your social email address um, and you can start buying up like up to a certain limit of Bitcoin at which you'll have to do the more, uh, a little bit more of the KYC with the, with the ID and stuff. But uh, you can get in there and buy a good chunk of Bitcoin, like $5,000 without having to do the full KYC now. So it gives people a chance to really get their taste, get a little bit of that skin in the game. Uh, low level, you can onboard somebody, you download the Swan app, and within a minute, they're buying Bitcoin as you sit next to them. So it's a great orange pill app at this point. Getting skin in the game. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, we have a lot of examples, but um, Josh Bryan at the firehouse the other day, he got his first skin in the game and I watched him, you know, in front of me, directed him to Swan. Mm -hmm. You're watching this dude set it up in the span of like, you know, probably realistically three minutes. And even though he's putting a small amount in there, it's like now he's invested. Now he's engaged in the learning process. Yep. And that's where yeah. a buying platform with education is so powerful. Yep. And there, there sure. just is no substitute. No. People get that little amount. They, at the beginning, they start looking at the numbers, but they're more receptive to hear, hey, what's this thing all about? I really it's do key. think that that's what separates you guys uh, primarily. And that's, that's why I tell people to go there, especially like my parents, um, because you know that they're not going to be able to buy some bullshit. They're going to be exposed to educational content that's going to be relevant and that's going to help them understand what they're doing. And that's key. Yep. Like the skin in the game, number one. Number two, actually understanding why it is they want to own something like this. And then number three, that you guys encourage people to withdraw their Bitcoin and cold store it, which is also, that's like the trifecta of the best place to buy Bitcoin. Number four, not being able to sell it. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah! Don't forget about that. You have to you have to write into customer service to sell your Bitcoin. Hey. No sell button. <laughs> no sell button. Customer service is like, God damn it! I, if I had to pick somebody to go on there, man, I, just back to the Joe Rogan thing for yeah. a second. I think Gigi, but Joe Rogan and Gigi would both have to do mushrooms. Oh man, like that would be <laughs> that <laughs> probably wouldn't be the best orange pilling episode, but it would be one hell of an entertaining. I episode. I want to see that as like a 
like a full HBO documentary or something like that. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I just, that would be exceedingly entertaining from my perspective. Here's my suggestion for Swan development, Brady. You, you folks generate a GG AI that everybody has to interact with before they sell their Bitcoin. <laughs> so before they get to customer service, they just see a green dude show up on their screen and scream at them about why this asset's so fundamentally profound for humanity. And then deep dives into physics and somehow dovetails that in with something else that just you never thought were two disparate acts and can write something completely elegant about it. I love GG. And yeah. you're like, wow, that's just. That guy is so cosmic. Our deep dive with Gigi on this show, we went, I don't know, we went, I don't know, three hours or something. We we actually, we speaking of uh, needing to take a piss, I think we labeled the episode pre-piss and post-piss. <laughs> yeah, we did. Gigi. <laughs> we did. But God, he was amped up. I wonder if he was on Mushrooms, Josh, because that that is maybe one of our our classics is just For him sure. going. He had just, he, he'd recently put out Bitcoin as time and he oh, yeah. just teed off, yeah. man. It was, you haven't listened to that one. It's, I think it would be up there. I will. I haven't listened to that one. I I definitely have to do that. Yeah. I mean, he was at Swan when he wrote that. He published it originally on the Swan blog. He has it on his site now too. But I, yeah, definitely had some conversations with him about that piece while he was writing it. I would love to listen to that episode. I'm going to do that tonight. Yeah. Gigi's a special, special one. Um, Yeah, he is. He was one of my very early podcast episodes on citizen bitcoin and it was his own his second podcast episode ever yeah i've listened to it it's 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 amazing super early it was he had just written his book which i can't see it on the camera but i have it on my shelf right behind me Um, 21 my favorite bitcoin book it's the his writing style is just so cool you know um Mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's kind of poetic it's kind of like it's just it's the literary style is fantastic and he does it so succinctly um and just enter in an entertaining way it's fun to read it uh so anyway i love the book um 21 lessons and yeah that episode we just went through the whole book basically a couple hours uh, fantastic the other one you guys had were asking about my favorite podcast episodes so that would definitely be one speaking of gg and the other one uh is probably just another straight up education podcast with breed love where we would just went through um the what is money and we ended up naming his show mm. his uh his podcast show uh what is money uh but we just went through the first principles of money and mm-hmm. it was a fantastic episode another like two hours i think if you listen to those two episodes um you know three and a half probably f- hours worth like you'd be in really good shape if breed love is such a that guy is just a well-rounded beast of a man. Yeah, he is. Like, he, I, somebody posted something of him on Twitter, saw him at the gym or something. The dude's a, an animal. Yeah, he is. He's an absolute animal physically and mentally. It's, it's astounding that people like him exist. Here's the thing about the way he communicates. And this stood out, you know, it stands out to me listening to him. And then when he came on here too, like the way he can architect a conversation, remember where he's been, have a roadmap to where he's going amidst a casual dialogue yeah. is unreal like he really he he just absolutely ties together a really cohesive outline somehow in the middle of an hour and a half two hour long conversation what he did with you what he did with preston and b uh btc001 the the first Mm. one of preston's episodes what he did with lex friedman dude the the lex friedman was next level yeah it was oh it was it was next next fucking level he was he was like lucid the entire time like it was a tour de force that 
Yeah. Had to be mushrooms again. <laughs> That's basically basically all these guys, dude. Anyone that is, you know comes off as super intelligent, they must be on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Next time we get Gigi on this, Dan, we should consider doing mushrooms with him. We would never, obviously, no, just because of, of what we no, do we for a living. But theoretically, <laughs> it would be a great, great idea. It would be yeah. a great idea. Um, all right. Other than me beating Corey at the three-point contest, what talk to us about Pacific Bitcoin 2020. We got a shot, What's going to go down? Can you, can you shoot? No. I, I, I used to be okay. I just put my foot in my mouth. No, no, no. He can. Um, <laughs> he just has humility. Let's put him up there. I used to have a little bit of a jumper, but it's it's Brick City. Um, but yeah, talk to us about what's going on here uh, and what has how much of the company's energy is channeled towards this? How big yeah. is it going to be? What are you working on for this year? Yeah, so... In terms of company energy, it just really ramps up within like the last three months. So right now, it's kind of chill on the PB front, um, which is nice. Last year we launched, we really only had about six months, and when it really comes down to it, like four months to put everything together, and it was really, really it's hard. Insane that you executed oh, that. It was really, really hard on, especially on the the sponsorship sales front. Um, ticket sales did all, was okay. Uh, but sponsorship sales was tough. It was tight. And, you know, we were coming into, you know, crypto was melting down. It was coming like a kind of bear market just more broadly in the macro sense. And anyway, it was tough. But this year we've, and we didn't have any proof of work. Like we were just telling people, hey, we're going to throw this cool conference. It's going to be great, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so now we, you know, we can actually show. Come to the fire Festival, yeah, exactly. you know? Yeah. Who knows? Because <laughs> now people, we have the, you know, there's absolutely hit it out of the park last year. And so we have that. It makes it a lot easier. So we're selling sponsorships now and we've already sold almost as many tickets as we did last year. So uh, we're doing really well. And uh, we have Kristen Thompson who just spearheaded everything last year. She's now head of events. Well, she was head of events last year. She just wasn't called it yet. Um, and so she's also going to be responsible for our presence at MicroStrategy World right now actually. Um, happening right now and uh, Bitcoin 2023, all of the events we're involved in uh, and and had a PB, of course. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I mean, we're calling it the festival this year. <laughs> Speaking of festivals, we're actually going to call it the Pacific Bitcoin Festival uh, because it just definitely fits better than a conference. Like it didn't have, it wasn't really a conference. The vibe last year was very much a festival. Uh, and so we're just going to embrace that. We're going to have more entertainment. We're going to find more uh, passion zones, as Corey calls them. So basketball was definitely a big passion zone for us last year at PB, and and really is increasingly becoming that for us for Swan as a, as a whole. Like we're just really just kind of systematically getting into the basketball culture and world more and more, uh, which is pretty cool. We have, and we have a strategy for that in, in particular, so we're working on that. Um, so we'll have the basketball court. We're going to have more music, uh, more art, uh, more you know, activations in general from sponsors, like fun, you know, like surfboards and mechanical surfboards and whatever, fun things like that, dunk tanks and kind of festively, carnival stuff. Yeah. Can we teach a bunch of like a bunch of, uh, you know, non-physical Bitcoiners how to actually get up on a surfboard and surf? Like yeah. people that are, have no athletic ability at all. I'm going to have to sign waiver. <laughs> like myself, I tried surfing in Hawaii, man. I got nothing. I suck at surfing. Throw backs out, destroy backs. Yeah. Just don't break any more necks. Yeah, we're going to be there, folks. Josh is going to grow a mustache. We're going to, I think we're going to alternate mm, mustaches at the conferences. I'm going to go to Miami with a mustache. Josh is going to go to Pacific Bitcoin with a mustache, and we'll just kind of keep flip-flopping. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> we're pumped, though. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, but, you know, we're doing everything. The Swan Dome is going to be bigger. 
we're going to have more like open source and developer focused type stuff, more uh, sort of hands-on tutorial walkthroughs uh, in person and stuff like that. So it's, we're, we're definitely going to have even more fun, but we're also going to uh, amp up our education efforts as well. So we're working on that. Very cool. To uh, <laughs> This is a topic we don't usually bring up much, but we love to put you on the spot and make you make a prediction. Where do you see Bitcoin in the next three years? How, How do many? you see three this years? thing going? Yeah, three years or so. Maybe post a year, at least a year or two post next halving. How do you see this all playing out? And we'll, Dan and I will put ourselves on the spot and make predictions too. But we'll wait for you to do it first. I'll go, I'll go 180. 180 top. 180? Yeah. Okay. You think we've seen the bottom of this thing? Oh, yeah. You think that it's uh, turned completely broadside at this point? I think we're, I think we hit the bottom for sure. Yeah. Okay. What makes you say that out of curiosity? Just the sentiment, I think, and the way, yeah, the way that, you know, just seeing things at, at Swan and the buying habits and behavior, the kinds of questions that we get, it's like it, you can just tell there's a, a sentiment change. And yeah, you guys have I an think, inside line there. Yeah. Um, Definitely. I think people just are more comfortable. I think the price doubling helps a lot to make people feel more confident, more comfortable. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like the more it goes up, the more it goes up, <laughs> you know, because people get more confidence in it. Somebody tweeted something along the lines of, um, I think just people, Bitcoin is DCAing into Bitcoin is buying up almost all of the Coinbase at this point. So all things being equal, you assume the Coinbase gets cut in half 2024. Mm -hmm. That's a massively bullish uh, movement, even if there's no other interest generally. Just the people keep DCAing the way they've been doing it for the last yeah. year or two. It, it just has to go up. I mean, barring people selling a shitload of it, clearly. But honestly, on that front, I the 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 relative change of the supply compared to like let's say the first having which was yes. a massive change. Right. And the liquidity levels of Bitcoin were a lot lower then. So the cut in supply had, had more of an effect because the liquidity wasn't there to compete with, right? So like right now, mm -hmm. you could be taking, you know, we could be changing, I don't know the exact number, but hundreds of Bitcoin a day will be, uh, per less will be produced, right? But, the amount of liquidity that comes on the market at any, any given time can absolutely swamp that. So it doesn't right. matter. Yeah. So the balance of like the percentage uh, change to the supply because 92% already issued and the amount of liquidity now makes that, that having not have too much of an effect on the price anymore. So I think you're just going to have a diminishing effect uh, as these things get smaller, you know? That makes sense. That, yeah, that makes total make sense. sense that you'd have a dim diminishing impact from the halving yeah. because the, the halving itself is less significant in terms of total yeah. supply entry. Now, that doesn't change the fact that like, our thoughts on the future that there is just a tremendously tight noose on the supply of this thing. Yeah. We say on the show all the time, but I just think even us Bitcoiners can get uh, conditioned into forgetting how inelastic this this brick wall really yep. is and what what the meaning and significance and price movement at the margin could look like when you have a new significant swath of demand come in i mean this is a small asset class it's remarkable what it's accomplished but it is relatively small on the global stage back to the two year predictions my thought on where we're going to be at it, it almost feels comical to even throw out a number 
because I feel like we could be at 90 or we could be at 1.9 million. Yeah, like that's how this thing could move, especially in for me, guys, like the, the headliner and, and we beat this all the time on the show is just how much things are fraying on the global stage. Like, I really think this could be a tantalizing uh, global reserve asset that that asset managers are salivating over on on balance sheets in small hedge quantities in fairly short order. And even if small percentage of countries move in, yeah, look out. Predictions are probably futile. Back to the DCA thing. Just get a get a seat on this bull sure. and be prepared to ride. Yeah, man. I think you're ex- exactly right on that point, and I think it's all about counterparty risk. Um, mm. When some of these larger asset managers start really, really considering counterparty risk, when they understand that, you know, there's like four major banks that have failed in the last month and a couple of months. When that really starts sinking in, that maybe there's more contagion out there, and what can I own that has no counter counterparty risk? This is really the only thing that exists in that realm, short of physical gold, which nobody wants to take actual possession of. So, yeah. I think that uh, this thing is going to do some magical things in the near future. I'm not 100% sure that we've seen the bottom, but you can never be. But the fact that I don't think we have probably means that we have. Yeah. <laughs> but man, man, Brady, is the, is the value proposition of this thing just illuminated as bright as it's ever been? You know, I sent a tweet oh, yeah. thread out the other day. Like, when you think about back to the, the, a, a sovereign balance sheet, this thing's got just robust neutrality. It's censorship resistant. You can hold it without fear of seizure or anyone freezing or confiscating it. It's got liquidity, ease of use on a global scale, interoperable with all these different currencies. And then just the value accrual, the most obvious of it being an inflation hedge in the middle of a global debt crisis with obvious debasement and inflation risks. It seems so freaking obvious right now. If, If you happen to be listening and you're still on the fence, get off of it. There was often a, it was often asked how Bitcoin would behave in a market like this because it was born mm. in 2008. Uh, so it wasn't really tested in that market. It was, it was so young for the first, you know, two or three years that you couldn't you know, look at that and draw any conclusions about how Bitcoin might behave in a market like this. But we are seeing Bitcoin rally into extremely questionable macro conditions and it's, you know, uncorrelated with equities uh, for the most part. Right now, it's very correlated with gold. We're starting to see how it's trading and how the market is is viewing Bitcoin, and it is a, a hedge as a hedge against potential failure of the fiat system. And that's exactly what it is. And the fact that we're seeing the market treat it that way um, mm. is extremely bullish. So it's people are starting to learn and starting to understand. And everything that we're doing helps every little bit of this education, every conversation like this helps. And then, of course, we get massive, massive help from the absolute shit show that is fiat money. <laughs> so <laughs> it does a lot of Amen. the marketing for us. Fiat money with the assist. Yeah. <laughs> Close us out here, Brady. We appreciate your time, man. How do you want to end this one? Give us a handoff to Swan and, and anything else. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. This was a, a ton of fun. I've been looking forward to it. Thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely. You guys do a great job. And I, in prep, listened to a few episodes uh, over the last few days and, and just really enjoy it. I'm going to go back and listen to a lot more now. Um, I, I've taken a break from podcasts, man. For, I I, uh, I do the same thing from time to time. Yeah. I just, 
Yeah. I used to just like a fire hose, <laughs> which is the mm-hmm. right analogy, I think, with you guys, right? So it's with a fire hose, I used to just sure take is. it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it was, you get us to a certain point where you hear the thing, same things over and over again. Same, you know, there's just a number of yep. ideas and you got to cherry pick the right episodes. So um, yeah, I, you've got a great archive to choose from. Anyway, uh, yeah, again, thanks for having me, man. I think we, you know, talked about Swan and the podcast and all of that stuff uh, plenty. I just encourage you, I w- I'll reiterate the, the points of, uh, that we spoke about earlier, and I loved our conversation about, about politics and government, and, and uh, I think it's really important for people to go out and, and talk to elected representatives. Uh, it's really a pretty simple thing to do. Just call the office, you know, get an appointment, or write a letter. Uh, it's pretty simple, and I think you can go out and you can make a difference. Like I said, most people don't do that. So the fact that you're reaching out is a big signal to them, their offices, having, having known some people who work there, uh, they it, it, may, it makes a difference, makes an impression. So I think Bitcoiners need to reach out and just just do this. It's They're your sats, you know? Uh, advocate on behalf of your sats and on behalf of, of Bitcoin and Bitcoiners and the rest of the world uh, for freedom money. Yeah, I think that's good advice and something I should take myself too because I've, I've, I don't know, maybe I'm too cynical about politics in general, but I just don't. I mean, I think a lot of people just think it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. What I say to these these people, yeah. they don't care. But um, I'll probably take your advice and do that myself. Some of these people still take it seriously, and this is the why I like decentralization when it comes to government, which makes me more of a you know what Republicans at least used to be. Uh, which is the you know defending the idea that America is a republic and that the yeah. idea of decentralizing power send it you know to the states to the municipalities and counties etc so that more happens more decisions are made in the local communities um, as much as possible right and so the, right. originally the the federal government was pretty limited in scope um, and to, to like national defense and uh, a few other things and it's just kind of grown in scope over time and um, I, in that sense, I guess I'm a conservative, but I don't see it as conservative. I see it as just a smart way to do things. Otherwise you end up with tyranny, you know? Right. right. Yeah. Like you, it also enables more jurisdictional arbitrage yep. even here in the United exactly. States. Like you could say that jurisdictional yep. arbitrage is the antidote to tyranny, yep. right? If, if, <laughs> if your area is just over the top autocratic and doing all kinds of crazy shit and everybody's exiting well then you got to back off that and the only way we have that sort of testing ground is to have different areas you can be i agree states rights are paramount and they 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 put a giant sign on people that are making the wrong choices because everybody's exiting yeah <laughs> loud throat clear illinois <laughs> um <laughs> uh, yeah that's not playing out so well i was just gonna say yeah, that's where i see bitcoin kind of incentivizing um the organization of society is around something like states' rights, where you're going to have small, smaller republics, smaller sort of states around the world, and they'll organize, self-organize around certain ways of living, and you'll have lots of choice, and you can go from you know place to place because you have Bitcoin, which is freedom money, mobility money, and you know works all over the world, and you can opt in to a new way of living uh, when you as you see fit, or you can create a new way of living as you see fit. So it's just a, a much freer world uh, that I see in the future. And, you know, there's all kinds of, we could have another cool conversation about, about this topic. And I love the idea of like yeah. how Bitcoin will uh, operate and allow us to 
uh, live in a world that's much more free and how we're going to organize legally speaking and, and all of that. It's, it's fun to think about. I need to write more about it actually, because I end up thinking yeah. about it. Let's make it happen. Yeah. All right. Let's make yeah, it happen. We'll do it again. Yeah, guys. Appreciate you, Brady. Thanks guys. All right, Brady. Thank you, man. Enjoy uh, an evening with your family here. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Appreciate it. That is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed this one with Brady. And seriously, thanks for taking the time to listen. Swan Bitcoin has extended a generous and extremely cool offer specifically to listeners of Blue Collar Bitcoin. They are providing Swan Premium for free. Visit the link down in the show notes under Swan and enter password Blue Collar Bitcoin to retrieve this offer. Swan Premium is normally $200 a year or $20 a month, and it includes exclusive Swan content, market insights, and legitimately tantalizing discounts. Overarchingly, if you are catching what we're cooking here at BCB, you can do us a favor by taking two minutes to leave us a review on Apple or like and subscribe on your platform of choice. Lastly, we're on Podcast 2.0 apps, our favorite of which is the Fountain app, where you literally get paid sats for just listening to each one of our shows. Until next week, stay curious, my friends.